Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> Well, I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. (laughs) You could just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. (laughs) It's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. <laughs> We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and you know we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there, and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights, or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families the best they can. And the number is is eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. everybody to another episode of the best of the tom bernard podcast brought to you as always by brad shaw and bryant kicking off this show this week we had asad meki on the phone talking about his newest creation a combination of hypnosis and improv next on the best of Is Assad ready to go? Yes, he is. Ladies I'm ready to roll. Assad Mekki, Colin Mockery. High prob with Colin Mockery and Assad Mekki. You know, Assad, I pointed out to Colin, I just talked to Colin yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I pointed out that my one goal in life is to have my picture taken with my thumbs up to my temples and my fingers up to my temples like you do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Come I, on out to the show. Okay, well, we'll make it happen, all right? Uh, Assad, have you ever been to the Ordway? Have you ever, you ever been in the building at all? I have not. I'm oh. looking forward to it, though. It is gorgeous. It You're going to love that venue. It's a it's beautiful venue. Really, really nice. A uh, lot of room. A lot of people can get in there. Ordway Center on Sunday, October 27th. It's at 7.30 p.m. High Prov with Colin Mockery and Assad Mekki. So basically, from what I can tell from talking to, to Colin, is that you hypnotize him and then he does improv? Or other people? No, actually... 
So I bring up 20 volunteers, random volunteers from the audience, hypnotize them, whittle it down to the best hypnotic subjects, then enter Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Colin will then improvise with the people who are hypnotized on stage while they're under hypnosis. Really? How did this idea ever come? Was this your idea, Asad? Yeah, actually, I was at the Second City. I was studying there. I was doing hypnosis shows and performing all, all around the world. Uh, I was performing for Carnival Cruise Lines and Celebrity Cruise Lines, oh, Royal yeah. Caribbean. Yep. And uh, I just wanted to get yep. better at the gig. So I went to the Second City and uh, thought, hey, you know what? Uh, I think hypnosis and improv would work very well together on stage. And who's the best improviser in the world well it would be Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway mm-hmm. yeah, he is so I ended up I ended up I ended up sending a message through his uh, website believe it or not Tom just uh, a cold email through his website saying hey I'd really like this uh, to work out in that I'd like to uh, combine hypnosis and improv together his Jeff Andrews Colin's longtime manager got back in touch with me within 24 hours after that, we were on stage at the Second City performing the show within a couple weeks. Wow. What a great... It is a, it's a, a fascinating idea. I Now, Asad, do you understand how the mind works when it does improvisation? Is that part of the whole deal? I mean, when you, when you hypnotize these people, does it work in a different way, do you know? I mean, or is this something so new to everybody, nobody knows what's going to happen? So the part of the mind that deals with self-reflection becomes disconnected when somebody's hypnotized. So they don't, people who are on stage um, don't reflect on their behavior. They just carry out the suggestion uh, or the suggestions, I I should say. So it makes them into really great improvisers. See, when when you first start improvising and you start learning about the process of improvising at the Second City, for example, um... A lot of first-time improvisers will hesitate. Uh, they'll play to the crowd. They'll get nervous. So that will mess up their improv. But with hypnotized people on stage, they're just carrying out the suggestions. So they become excellent improvisers while under hypnosis. That's so, that's so amazing to me. Do we know a whole lot about the human mind, Asada? Or is there so much more to learn as time goes by? Oh, there's tons. I mean, we're... We're just scratching the surface right now. Um, the interesting thing with hypnosis is you're moving the conscious mind aside and you're working directly with the unconscious mind and you're giving suggestions directly to the unconscious mind. So the conscious mind is a critical analytical part of the mind, the part of the mind that you're using right now to take in information. The unconscious mind controls everything else. It controls your autonomic nervous system, your, breath- your breathing, your blinking. Uh, habits are stored at an unconscious level. That's why hypnosis is great for... Uh, you know, overeating, nail biting, dealing with habits and changing habits. It also happens to be great for, uh, you know, creating these unbelievable improvisers on stage. It was really interesting, uh, Tom. We've had, we've interviewed people who've come off stage and we wanted to know, you know, are you an actor? Are you an improviser? What's your background? Uh, some of the best. Uh, hypnotized subjects on stage that we had improvising with Colin. One was a uh, a nuclear engineer, and the other one was in cement sales. Completely unrelated. Well, you know, but shoulder to shoulder on those two. <laughs> <jobs>. <laughs> 
I guess. I, I, I used hypnosis for childbirth. You did? Oh, you did. That's right. You should talk to Asad about that. I'd love yes, to hear that. I used it's a, something called Hypno Babies, and you do these tracks that you listen to when you're pregnant to talk about how, like, childbirth isn't doesn't have to be painful, and it's a pleasant experience, and blah, 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 blah. And I had two kids, and water birth, totally natural, no pain. Really? Yep. That's amazing. Yep. Um, actually, believe it or not, in South Florida's largest hospital, Jackson Memorial Hospital, they actually do hand surgeries with hypnosis as the only anesthetic. What? So imagine walking into the OR. Yeah, imagine the uh, imagine walking into the OR. Uh, the psychologist talks to you for ten minutes, gives you the suggestion that your hand is totally numb, and then they go ahead and perform hand surgery on you. You don't feel a thing. I'm gonna pass. I've, done, hand I've also. <laughs> <laughs> You've also what, Assad? Yeah, so I've also seen uh, painless dentistry done as well. So dentists have been using hypnosis for years um, to produce glove analgesia and glove anesthesia. And you can actually uh, perform major, major surgery with hypnosis as the only anesthetic. So, Assad, you just brought up something I've never known in my entire life and I had no idea because I do not have congenital analgesia where people can't feel anything but what you just described mm-hmm. happens with me and it's not hypnosis well maybe it is self-hypnosis and i don't even know it but i can get a tooth pulled and not take any anesthetic at all i've had abdominal surgery without any anesthetic at all but i didn't know why but i but i don't was i hypnotizing myself somehow and not even knowing it possible Really? I think I'm hypnotizing myself the opposite way. Oh, to I feel tri- more pain. I need triple anesthetic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm serious. I have a low pain tolerance. Do you really? I, I mine really is do. really high. Really high. Not mine. So what is is there any I thought is there any explanation of why without even knowing it why I would have such a high pain tolerance and I don't know why I do. Nobody else in my family has it. You know, I really couldn't comment. That's beyond my scope of expertise, well, that's for sure. But look, I mean, you know a lot about the brain, a lot more about the brain than I do. So it's got to be a it's got to be a function, the brain function thing, I would think. Or perhaps dysfunction. Well, I mean, like a part of the <laughs> hypnosis for childbirth thing is like just, you know, if you tell yourself something's not going to be painful, you can make it not well, be painful. Well, like maybe that's what it is. Like those yeah. monks that can do all these, like, crazy things that would normally be horribly painful and they don't feel anything because they just tell themselves it's not going to be. And my dad had a bad case of sleep apnea. I mean, he was a legend. He is a legendary snorer. I mean, like cartoon quality. <laughs> and he it's, went to the doctor. Him. <laughs> he went to the doctor and he, they said, you've got sleep apnea. That's why you're tired all the time and you're snoring and all this stuff. So he got, was my dad's self-help man. He goes to the bookstore, gets a book on self-hypnosis. Really? Really? Yep. And started sleeping great. And it worked? And it worked. How wow. great is that? You must hear this all the time, Asad, the thing that, peop, that people do with hypnosis. Sure. I mean, with athletes specifically, it helps with sleep yeah. hygiene. So an athlete is uh, about to perform the night before. Oftentimes, they're keyed up. If they do learn how to do self-hypnosis, um, it relaxes them before going to bed at night. Absolutely. Well, not there's all, something called visual motor. Go ahead. Not all people can be hypnotized, right? So there's a, for a stage hypnosis, 20% of the population is, is usually good. That, that's approximate, which are oh, they're okay. called somnambulists. 
yeah. which which you can create positive hallucinations, negative hallucinations, and you can create amnesia on anything. So a positive hallucination would be, uh, I'm going to count from one to three. When I reach the count of three, you're going to hallucinate that there's a baby alien sitting on your lap. And then the person hallucinates that they have a baby alien sitting on their lap. A negative hallucination would be, I'm going to count from one to three. When I reach the count of three, I'll be gone. You know, I'll no longer be there. You, you'll see right through me. And then amnesia on anything is you can create amnesia on, you know, for, forget your phone number, forget your name, forget your lo- forget your address. So that's the deepest level, which is uh, somnambulism. And that's what you're looking for when you're looking for good hypnotic subjects on stage. So uh, to answer your question, from a stage perspective, yes, it's a certain po- percentage of the population that are going to be good hypnotic subjects. The research indicates that dissociatives are the best hypnotic subjects as well. So people are able to get so caught up in what they're watching or what they're reading that they're moved to a physiological response. Mm. So I'll give you an example. If you are the person that when you're in a movie theater, you jump in the horror scene, you're probably going to be a good hypnotic subject. Oh, there's Or Kathy. if you're in the movie... <laughs> My wife just put her yeah. hand up. Aside, yeah. I was told, I was told I can't be I can't be hypnotized. By who? Two different Sorry? hypnotists. No, they told me that I couldn't be put under. No. That I couldn't be hypnotized. Huh. Really? Yeah. So I can't comment. I can't comment on on what their you know their ability their their skill set is. But here's what I can. They gave me like ten tests. Made me do like ten different things, and they said, "Yeah, yeah you're not you're not oh, a really? candidate." Really? Yeah. So, so let me let me comment on that. So, when it comes to stage, yes, there's there's a smaller percentage of the population. That's why I bring up twenty volunteers, and then out of the top twenty, I pick the best hypnotic subjects that are gonna that respond accordingly to the suggestions. And as well, I'm I'm constantly calibrating for their unconscious feedback. So I'm I'm looking for changes in rate, location of respiration, so breathing changes. Uh, skin color changes. You go light to dark, dark to light. I'm looking for uh, skin tonus changes. There's a shininess and dullness to the skin. Vasodilation, so the capillaries in the eyes become engorged. I'm looking for slow sluggish movement, muted voice, mask-like facial expression. So if I see this list of uh, traits and I see these specific changes, then I'll keep the people up on stage. If I don't, I'll send them back. Hmm. So out of the 20... Uh, out of the 20, I'll pare it down most usually to about five that are really good hypnotic subjects. That is a wonderful. No, Asad, I'm talking, we're talking to Asad Meki, Colin Mockery as well. High Prov with Colin Mockery and Asad Meki at the Ordway Center. It's on Sunday, October 27th, 7.30 p.m. If you, if you don't mind, Asad, very quick, how did you get involved? Were you a very young, like a child or a young man when your fascination with hypno, hypnosis came along? Yeah, I studied the martial arts for a long time. So meditation, oh, okay. visualization, self-hypnosis, they're all kind of interrelated. Um, you know, I'm certified through the National Guild of Hypnoti- Hypnotists. I've, uh, I've studied hypnosis formally at the University of Toronto as well. Um, so that's, uh, or I should say psychology more specifically. And hypnosis is a subset of cognitive behavioral psychology. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you grew up in, in the Toronto area? I grew up actually in northern Ontario, believe it or not, oh, but I've really? been in Toronto. I've, yeah, I've been I've been in uh, Toronto for uh, about 20 years. I, I can't say that I, I really live in Toronto. I'm based here, 
because I'm always touring. It seems like it's been pretty much nonstop. Oh. We're we've been we've already done eight cities. Wow. Uh, we've got about another forty plus cities coming up, uh-huh. and we're touring across North America. We're doing uh, the U.S. Uh, as well as Canada, from, and uh, things an uh, things are great. Yeah, all from an email. Oh, yeah, an email. <laughs> that's yeah. a great point. That is pretty amazing. All from an email. Uh, well, it sounds like you're very have a, lucky, actually. Well, yeah, and I, I would say you know, not, you know, you can call yourself lucky, but, but it was you, a good idea. Yeah, it was a great idea. Yeah. I think I think it's a fantastic idea. I'd love to see it. Do you ever? Is there anything that absolutely comes out of nowhere and surprises you during uh, during any hypnosis in the past few years? Oh, it, it's always a surprise because oh, is music it? random people from it. Oh, yeah, I, do, I never know what's going to happen because. It's always random people from the audience, and then you've got the best improviser on the, in the, on the face of the earth uh, working with them, and you're like the magic that happens on stage. It's, it's unbelievable, and it, it's hysterical. Like, I mean, Colin is just constantly riffing, and Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway is constantly riffing off these people on stage. And, uh, you know, sometimes, believe it or not, the people who are hypnotized steal the show. Uh, sometimes uh, Colin is the one who's, who's really driving the comedy on stage, but I get a front row seat to see the best comedy in the world. It, it's absolutely, the show, Hiprov, is absolutely hilarious. Oh, so it's pronounced Hiprov, not Hyprov. Yeah, hypnosis, well, hip- probably. Hypnosis, right. yeah, hip, Hiprov, hypnosis, yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Assad Meki, Colin Mockery, ha- uh, Hiprov with Colin Mockery and Assad Meki. It is uh, at the Ordway Center. Beautiful, beautiful. If you've never been there, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love the theater, too. Mm-hmm. Sunday, October 27th at 7.30 p.m. Should be fascinating. Asad, thanks so much for your time today. Great talking to you, sir. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Asad Meki, ladies and gentlemen. That stuff fascinating. I'm surprised me. they can't get a show, TV show on that. They might. Yeah, yeah they might. Yeah. I've had, when I did the gong show live, I had hypnotists hypnotist come, and I'll tell you, it's pretty cool. They would hypnotize people. The same thing, they'd bring up 10 people and they'd pick one. And I've seen them get people to eat big onions and think they were oh. the best apple. Oh, the apple, yeah. And they would eat it, the whole onion, and, think that, and they kept saying, this is the best apple I've ever eaten. They would eat a whole onion. <laughs> really? You know what's amazing really? about and I, and they, and I, the people that they did it to, I knew the people, so I knew they didn't know them, because I knew them. Well, did you know that if you cut a potato into slices and give it to somebody in pitch black they will eat it and think it's an apple they will absolutely your, your brain, brain tells you yeah. what it's supposed to taste like yeah. my because brain doesn't <laughs> my brain doesn't this sucks maybe now after the brain injury no you're very fortunate to have a brain injury now because things will taste different we'll would it have been a- great if you could have uh, all of a sudden spoken some you know, Japanese be, or something. <laughs> yeah. What happened to Bobby? I always speak in English. She started speaking French for no reason. Remember that? Really? No. Oh, my sister Bobby had it when she had a had a tumor, and she had it removed. She came out of surgery speaking French, but she doesn't speak French. So I'm assuming she she was saying words that sounded French, not real words. Uh, but although maybe I don't know how. I she, know people yeah, start know. speaking in accents. Yeah. I had a friend that, while she was sleeping as a child, spoke an ancient Native American language. Jesus. <laughs> it's a little, it's a that's little scary. Super creepy. That's, that's, that's Don't called, you remember that? That's called possessed. Yeah, <laughs> possessed. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast.
Southside, Mickey on the best of. Coming up next, Jessime Peluso was on the program talking about how funny knee injuries can be. You know, not that, not that funny. Next on the best of. Flashback Friday. I know. Girls she, just want to have fun. I know. Everyone's like, oh, I'm such a Madonna fan. I'm like, Psh, she ain't got nothing on Cindy no, Lauper. Madonna is like the cocaine of music, and Cindy Lauper's like the acid. <laughs> if you had to equate them to, to drugs. Oh, I was such a Cindy fan. I even tried to do my hair like her when I was little. I told my my mom was a hairdresser and uh, she would kind of I was kind of her guinea pig and she'd give me perms and oh, then I no. would just kind of fro out. So then I was like, "Mom, let's." So I get that um, colored hairspray. Yeah, and I would just and I would, go wild. You yes, go ham. I'm Cindy Lauper. I saw her live last year. Uh, she opened up for Rod Stewart. Which Rod Stewart is still touring. Is he still wearing tight pants? <laughs> yes. Very shiny, tight leather pants and his bright, big hair. <laughs> yes. His head looks painful. His, I can't imagine <laughs> passing that child. And like Rod Stewart as a kid, his head was huge. And I singing know. his song, Do You Think I'm Sexy? Oh, yes, he did. And he still can rock it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't find him attractive. but he, he, <laughs> I like how you uh, you complimented him and then you under 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 yeah. your breath. You like well, I like his music. He can still rock it. He should be dead any week now. But, well, yeah. like, can he be 80 singing Do You Think I'm Sexy? Apparently so, because he does it. He still struts <laughs> that stage. He has. I was shocked how much energy he had still. That's was, cocaine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's not natural energy. That's definitely cocaine. But it energy. was a... I was blown away by that show. Yeah. That's I, amazing. I didn't have these high expectations. And then when I saw it, I'm like, holy crap. This is a, one of the top concerts I've ever been to. Cindy was great. He was great. I thought it, the two paired up on going on tour was kind of odd. That's bizarre, mm-hmm. but also bizarre enough where you're like, I think I need to go to that. Yeah, that's how I was like, that would be an interesting concert. I think I, it's smart to not have high expectations for anything in life. Yeah. Like the fact that you didn't have high expectations, then you can at least be yeah, pleasantly then you're not surprised. Disa- yeah. yeah, you're not disappointed. For music or dicks. Can I say dicks? <laughs> yeah, There's a kid in the room. Oh, don't worry about it. He hears everything. <laughs> <laughs> we have a house full of teenagers. Lord knows what they say when I'm not around. Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just tell him he's he hasn't earned the right to say anything like that. That's not smart. Yeah, he's not old enough. I said when you when you're old enough and you've earned the right, then you can cuss and swear. That's good. I like that. So because he. He'll be so foul-mouthed by that. <laughs> That's why I foul-mouthed. I'm like, geez, my life. But, um, yeah, I love going. To, do you like going to concerts? I don't. Oh, really? I don't like uh, being surrounded by a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Where I can't see an exit that I can get to <laughs> in a swift moment. Smart. Yeah. Just a bunch of drunk people that probably wouldn't even 
calculate or register an emergency. They're like, yeah. what? It's just the music. <laughs> yeah, my, my husband and I, we go to a lot of concerts together because he travels a lot for his job, you know, because he's in TV and, and does his radio stuff and does a lot of conferences. So, like, when he's home, that's kind of our date night. And that's we go fun. Out. Yeah, that's cool. so we try and mix it up. Like, we've seen, well, one was really fun was, have you heard of Hairball? Hairball? I've had a couple. I had one this morning. <laughs> so have my cats. I brought it in for you. <laughs> That's a band? Well, it's what it is, it's like this compilation of 80s hair band music, oh. but they come out dressed as like, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, or they'll come out as like ACDC. That's pretty cool. And they kick ass. You know, they're just, they're great. What do you need, honey? He's showing you Bunny. He wants to show you Bunny. <laughs> Oh, it's the old. It's, I know. I am ovulating. When, when I my son was young, I could he could not talk to me all day long. Right. And as soon as I picked up the phone, yep. he was in my face. That's exactly <laughs> like he'll be home. He'll be in a in a corner of the house on his tablet for three hours. I won't hear from him as mm-hmm. soon as I need to do work, or I have to you know focus something. your energy. Yep. Mom, 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 mom. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I'm still that way with my mom. Mommy fingers. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a cutie. Yeah, it's MEA week. Although I just saw a news story. You might be interested in this, JB. I just saw a news story that um, the attendance. Do you know what MEA is? No, what is that? It's a conference that all the teachers throughout the state. Oh, that's right. It's happening Minnesota right now. Minnesota Educators Association. And I guess the attendance is so low that... And of course, it's my school district mm-hmm. that I saw on the on the news report that next year they're not doing it <gasps> because they're just like this isn't worth our time. Yeah, uh, they're. It was originally for to excuse seniors in high school to go visit colleges, right? Uh. And then somehow the teachers took it over, and schools were let out for two, and it became this unskip this scheduled vacation. Where they go to another city or whatever. and Right. Well, and then families started planning their lives around, like, another two days of vacation to go somewhere, and this, that, and the other. And it's just, just become this tourist thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> strange how it's evolved into that. Right. I know. It's like, I don't even know. Why don't they do that over the summer? <clears throat> you know? It's like... <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with the original attempt, which was to let juniors and seniors go visit college. Yeah. Now it's all the kids, like no, every it's all grade. Student, or teachers, yeah. Well, right? you know, he's in second grade. He really needs to start thinking about college. Yeah. I don't want to put a lot of pressure yeah. on anybody. Yeah. But. I know, right? <laughs> Yale, what do you like? What would you like to do when you grow up? Football. <laughs> Football. Football. <laughs> or play games all day. Hey, buddy, you know where I'm from? I'm from the place where the best football in the world is played. I didn't know you were from Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, you must have missed the. We don't talk season? about it. Yeah, we don't no, talk you don't, about that. Didn't oh, you didn't see that happen? Oh, this yeah. is this is uh, skull country here. So, well, listen, I'm a New England Patriots fan. Die oh, hard. Oh, not another one. <laughs> what do you guys want, man? I'm sorry that you guys hate excellence. You know, I mean, what do you? What do you... I hate cheaters. Although what? I do have cheaters. Oh. cheaters. Watch here me in this conversation. Derek cheaters. It's not where the best hockey's played. Yeah. yeah that's right. Where's the, the best, best hockey? hockey is played, played in St. Louis, it, where I'm from. It's from, so. It's actually played in Canada, but uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I, I, well, I but have a patriot. Year. I have a patriot on my uh, fantasy football team. Well, who do you got? 
I can't even remember. Oh, That's how, how important I love New some, England. Some guy, Tom Brody. Tom, <laughs> Tom Brody. Tom. Well, speaking of football, the Madden curse mm-hmm. is live and yeah, well because Mahomes the went down hard last night. He blew out his knee. I, you know, if I was a football, do you guys know the Madden curse? No, right, I don't. Right. I don't. I didn't Jess know when the Super strong. Bowl was. Okay, <laughs> I don't okay. know when the Super Bowl was. Well, all the you know Xbox they have the Madden games yeah. where every year they put out a new. Uh, John Madden game, and every time someone has appeared on the cover, they get hurt. They get hurt. That's weird. I know. That's strange. That's on like dark arts. Stuff. I can put it into terms that you'll it's understand though. Where her boyfriend's from, Kansas. He's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. The quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs is a kid named Patrick Mahomes. He's very good. I don't think he likes Kansas City Chiefs. I think he's a Jets fan for some reason. <laughs> no, no, he's yeah. a Chiefs fan. Because him and I were arguing in text. Oh, uh, were you? Yeah, during the okay. playoffs. I thought he liked the Jets. See, I don't even know what football my boyfriend likes. <laughs> I'm so out of touch with sports. I love football. <laughs> we live and breathe football during football season. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. Because, like, well, Teddy Bridgewater, who was a rookie quarterback sure. for the Vikings, he got put on the cover, and then he blew out his knee yep. in practice. Yeah, Could we just nasty. maybe agree that football's very dangerous? It is. Also, it is. Also a very good point. I think that's the allure of it. I mean, um, my kids love to play it. But, um, but yeah, so... I don't know, and my husband's pretty bummed because he had Mahomes as his starting quarterback on his uh, fantasy football. So this week I'm going to kick his ass because I'm you, up against uh, him. Did you see them popping his kneecap ew, back ew, in place on ew, camera? Ew, ew, ew. Okay, my my stepson. Yeah, my stepson. Okay, I get a call when I'm at work, and he's at the ER. I'm like, oh my god! So I run to the emergency room. His kneecap was literally sitting on the yeah. side of his leg. Oh, and I'm like. And he's just sitting there holding it, and he's just looking at me like, "Yeah, they got to pop it back because he has a high pain tolerance." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh." And I would be throwing up all over myself. And his dad thought, "Is he okay?" I'm like, "You don't want to know," because <laughs> he because my husband's blown out his knees, and it Ugh. when he sees that kind of stuff, it just makes him, uh, you know, wretch. But um, I won't tell you guys. I won't tell you guys what I did to my knee because it'll definitely make don't me throw don't. Up. I can't even just the discussion of it. I'm but, like, oh. Yeah. I have too much of an imagination. I can't. Too yeah. visceral of imagination. But when I was young, I was playing. I have four brothers and four sisters. Uh, That's a big family. Yes, it is. Catholic family. Um, <clears throat> the brother above me and the brother below me were just screwing around. There was a vacant lot next to my parents' house, which we eventually bought. But that was kind of our football field, our baseball sure. field, and whatnot. And... We were screwing around football, and the younger brother some somehow got tackled by the oldest and the older, and his kneecap went out of place. And my brother said, "Shut up! You wanted to play with us. You never tell anybody." And he smacked it back in place right there. And he jumped up and said he was fine, but he was all of what six, seven, so it's probably really you know. Yeah, yeah, you're a big. You're how tall are you? Six one. Yeah. Yeah, I had to do the same oh, exact sure, thing <laughs> when I popped my knee out because I was a figure skater. <laughs> yeah. You and know what? Yeah. You look like a figure skater. Do I? Yeah, yeah. you have I a had figure skater. You I do. Tanya. You got that I, Tanya vibe. Oh, she's a bitch. <laughs> would, you, would you hit a bitch in the knee for the championship? <laughs> <laughs> no, I met Tanya already, and she wasn't a pleasant person. She doesn't uh, have a face of a pleasant person. Well, you want me to give you a scoop? Neither is Nancy Kerrigan, so really no, that's a yeah, 50-50 all, proposition. They were very stuck up. I didn't fit in that figure skating clique. 
But, um, yeah, I landed on my, I did a jump, and when I landed, I landed at a weird angle and landed in my knee. I love how this? I said this stuff makes me throw up, and everyone's sharing yeah. their individual. Like, go ahead, Marty, tell yours. Well, the next time we go to commercial, <laughs> is it going to be? Is this going to be brought to you by like the Minnesota Knee Clinic or something like that? <laughs> like what a is it? Oh, the MNC. All right, you want me to tell you what I did? I said MN. Here's what I did to my knee. Are you ready? Yeah. Here's what I did. My, I was young. It was one of the first times my parents left me home alone, and I had gone to this place where they had showed us how in the old days they used to make the kids sew their own books like with a with a big needle mm-hmm. so i decided what, what? <laughs> it was like an was old that? like a historical village you guys don't have that new england has it sounds it. like something from an m night Shyamalan movie no so i i got a needle and i was going to sew my mom a card to thank my mom and i dropped the needle and we had a shag rug it was the 80s, but we had oh, a 70s no. shadow. Oh, God, this is a nightmare. And I knelt down to find oh, the no. needle, and it <laughs> shot into my knee in between the joint, <laughs> right into the thing, drove Stop, into the bone, you? and then it <laughs> snapped off. Oh, God, it's Hang on, I'm almost done. Hang on, I'm almost done. What's that crackling noise? Oh, it's and then my And then my knee was locked. It was his knee. My knee was locked. Oh, yeah. So the only way to make it move was to, to I wore a channel in the back of the, the my the bone in my knee. Oh my god! And it was there for like four and a half weeks, and then they had to pull it out. Oh. Really? Yeah. Is everyone done? <laughs> Max, do you have a knee injury story you want to tell us? Do you have one? No. no. He does too. He just no, doesn't no, want to no, tell me. No, no, no. I've never. You promise. Had, I've never had a knee. Six minutes from now, if you're like, well, that reminds me of that time my knee. <laughs> no, got but shot right out. before, right before we get back to the hotel, I've got an awesome nail in the finger story. To tell. <laughs> I love that. And after the yeah, after the commercial break, we talk about giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Butterfingers. Butter Glasses are butterfingers. Oh jeez, he's being weird. But anywho. <laughs> So how do you how do you like working in the the Minneapolis St. Paul market? I think it's great. It's good people. Yeah. Yeah. Really well, really solid like real people you can have conversations with. Yeah. Coming well, from LA. I mean, well a lot of people all the comedians that come through they just say this is just a great venue and market and the people are great. We love our comedy. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of one of those um what do you, I'm trying to think of the word but it's kind of like one of those shot in the dark things where people don't think to come here. Yeah. But when they do, they're pleasantly surprised. They're Low expectations. Because, yes. you know, we're kind of fly. Yeah, we're kind of flyover country here. I would it? not call you guys flyover. Like Cape Girardeau, flyover. Yes, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's exactly. Cape it's Girardeau very, <laughs> is a little town in Missouri. They literally, it's uh, uh. like one of the smallest towns ever. Mm-hmm. And their airport, like the person who checks your bag in, also flies the plane. <laughs> True story that happened to me. This dude in like hot pink sunglasses grabbed my bags. I was like, oh, cool. And then like I go through security and then he's flying the plane with oh. some other dude who's like sunglasses. <laughs> these these bros, they're bros. Uh-huh. They tr- it's like an eight seater plane, like one of these tiny little like you know propeller planes. And I'm sitting in the back. There's <laughs> seven other people, including the pilots. And they turn around and they look like extras from I don't know Risky Business because they have their sunglasses. <laughs> they're like, you guys ready to take off? I'm like, uh, have your balls descended? Because <laughs> you look five. I look like I could be your mom. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, at least they weren't, like, the bartender, too, because then I'd get a little worried. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how much have you had to drink before you're getting behind the, those wings? The you know? Denzel Washington, the plane. Oh God, <laughs> that never happened. I don't. Yeah, I, I could just like see Denzel in that movie. He's just probably like, yeah, if I didn't have the liquor, I wouldn't have been able to do it. You know what he I mean? He flies the plane upside down. Are you kidding me? He's like, <laughs> wasn't that a true story? I mean, more pilots fly drunk than people realize. I yeah. know. I have friends who are pilots. But it's so automated now. I mean. Then push your button and go. It's harder to drive a bus. It's harder to drive a bus. Yeah. My my oldest boy wants to be an airline pilot. He's a smart kid. I know. Well, he he was like looking up the salaries and stuff. He's like, Mom, I can make bank. (laughs) Not going to blow out your knee? Yeah, no kidding. Just blow out out a building. (laughs) (laughs) That one I don't think you're going to recover from. (laughs) You ever land in Seattle? Oh, yeah. that is like yeah. jarring. You get so close. You're like, oh, someone taking over the plane. DC's Why like that too. Why are we going too. between buildings? Well, DC's they're... like that too. They make you because all the no fly zones. They make you fly and you, you just pitch and roll the whole time. The yeah. first time I was doing, it, I was like, what in the hell is going on? I know some of these airports. Uh, well, because I've been around and like some airports are just horrible, horrible. I mean, Minneapolis. I love Minneapolis Airport. Have you ever been to the Miami airport? Oh, it's a nightmare. Being in a Miami airport is like being in a Miami club at like 3 a.m. where you're like, get me out of here. Oh, and they have like no like food. There's no food and really? it takes forever to get out of it. Oh, I know. It's like walking through a laptop that was made in, in 2025. <laughs> like, what are all these hot pink lights? <laughs> I know. Why does anybody have pants on? I know. It's, it's women in high heels and fake nails and fake boobs. You're like, did I just walk into the set of some new movie based on... Housewives in Miami. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. So if you're gonna take a knee, take a hike. That was Jessime Peluso. Coming up next, closing out the show. We're opening up the all the way back to episode number 791 with Navy SEALs Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Next on the best of. If you're gonna take a knee, take a hike. Ladies and gentlemen, extreme ownership, how U.S. Navy SEALs lead and win. Our special guest, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Or where are you right now? This is Jocko. I'm out in San Diego, California. Okay, and Leif, where are you? Leif, I'm in New York City. Okay, so good afternoon and good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tom. Yes, that's the best. And well, let's get this out of the way right away. No, Jesse Ventura was not a Navy SEAL. So moving <laughs> He was UDT, which is now part of the SEAL. Now, UDT, the underwater demolition team, is now part of the Navy SEALs, but it wasn't back then, right? That's correct. So why does he do it? That's what I want to know. You can probably tell from the beginning I don't get along with Jesse too well, but that's all right. It all works out in the end. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, two U.S. Navy SEAL officers who led the most highly decorated special operations unit of the Iraq War, demonstrate how to apply powerful SEAL leadership principles to business and life. 
I must mention, you guys, I don't know if you ever read anything by Vince Flynn at all, the author Vince Flynn. I have not read anything by Vince Flynn. Okay, he was... He was a terrific, terrific writer. He did 16 international bestsellers. Unfortunately, he died about two years ago at the young age of 46. But he, because he he uh, wrote magnificent books about uh, espionage and intrigue and the ongoing problems the world is having right now, he, he studied the U.S. Navy SEALs. He just, I mean, he, he went across the board. And then he lived his life according to those principles in business and in his life. So he was a perfect example. You would have been proud of him. He was a wonderful man, died way too young. You know, just... We'll have to check that out. Oh, he's unbelievable. You love his books. Well, Lincoln Babin, recipients of the Silver Star... You guys won the Silver Star... Man! That's pretty impressive. I mean, it's not pretty impressive. That's very impressive. Lead SEAL Team 3's Task Unit Bruiser, a team of exceptional warriors that included American sniper Chris Kyle. I was very lucky, fellas, because Chris Kyle was on the show a few times. Matter of fact, he was on the show for the last time about two weeks before he died. I thought he was one of the most terrific people I ever talked to. And and I do want to hear all about extreme uh, leadership, but I, I will... Uh, extreme ownership, excuse me. But I will... Um, tell you a quick story about chris kyle that i just loved <laughs> he's on one time and you know i asked him i said because of who you are does anything upset you and he goes not a whole lot but there was something that just upset me yesterday and i said what was that and he said i was playing call of duty with this 12 year old kid and this 12 year old kid was kicking my ass <laughs> and i finally started screaming at him i'm the real thing kid i'm the real thing <laughs> <laughs> Which is just magnificent. That sounds a lot like Chris. I think uh, you know he had an amazing sense of humor, and uh, he was always uh, he had that kind of cackling uh, laughter. And being from Texas, I can appreciate you know that accent very much. But <laughs> we uh, we had a whole lot of laughs, uh, and, and uh, he was he was just an amazing guy to be around. He was indeed. I mean, I was never around him. I talked to him on the, on the telephone and on the radio several times, but I never had the uh, pleasure, the, the extreme pleasure of meeting him in person hopefully i can meet you two guys in person someday extreme ownership how u.s navy seals lead and win jocko leif whoever wants to begin i want to hear all about it well uh we we uh as you know as you pointed out a couple times now we were in the seal teams and we were in a pretty tough fight for the in the battle of ramadi in in ramadi iraq in 2006 mm-hmm. leif and i uh learned a lot of lessons there and when we, when we got done with that job, we came back and we both got put into positions of leadership where we were teaching leadership back in, back in California. And as we were teaching leadership to the young SEALs, you know, a lot of them would ask us, hey, do you have this stuff written down anywhere? Do you have any reference material we can use? And we eventually kind of put together an ad hoc handout for guys. And that worked great. And, but then once we, once we both left the Navy and we started working with civilian companies, from a consulting standpoint, helping them with their leadership and their management, they started asking the same questions. Hey, do you guys have this stuff written down anywhere? Do you have these principles captured on paper where we could have it, where we could hand it out to our employees? And after we got told that enough times, we we said, okay, I guess we better write this stuff down. We wrote it down, and that's what evolved into this book, Extreme Ownership. I think it's a wonderful idea. First of all, I think it's it's a magnificent uh, story. Well, the two of you, your stories together are unbelievable. Um, Leif, what is what does leadership in America look like today? I mean, in, in, in your opinion, 
I think there's a huge lack of extreme ownership. Uh, right. And everything that you look at, there's just, uh, you know, you see, you, I think that's pretty classic, you know, particularly in, in the political realm. Uh, but I think across across the spectrum, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of folks out there that want to make excuses, that want to cast blame, that, that want to see themselves as a victim rather than taking ownership of everything in the world. And, of course, there's, there's plenty of exceptions to that, too. We work with some extraordinary companies. Uh, the best companies you work with, I mean, they have leaders uh, at every level of their organization that are exhibiting extreme ownership. They take charge of, of everything in their world, everything that affects their mission, uh, and they, they, solve, they, they take ownership of problems so they can solve those problems, uh, develop solutions, and win. Does anyone want to take ownership of anything any longer? Because I tell you, I don't see a whole lot of it. Only the good stuff. Yeah, they want to take. That's right. They, they always want to take take ownership of the good stuff. I mean, just recently, you saw both Clinton and Biden were kind of saying that they were the ones that made that decision or pushed the president to make the decision on the Bin Laden raid. You know, and yet at the same time. You didn't see anyone stepping up and taking ownership or responsibility of what happened in Benghazi oh, no. when Americans were killed. So I think you, I think you nailed that point. I have a question for both of you on that. As a matter of fact, and I'm not trying to get real political here because it's just it's not the time to do it. We're talking to you about extreme ownership. Your new book, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, with us right now. But I don't know that I, and I certainly wasn't a U.S. Navy SEAL or even close to it. But but. Uh, when, when Hillary Clinton said, at this point, what difference does it make? How did you guys take that? There was, there's really no way to take it other than just uh, to be infuriated by that. You know, and I think it's just it, it's so perplexing to me to think that uh, that you can have leaders um, that uh, that don't want to take ownership. And you never, if you don't actually, uh, if you don't actually take ownership, admit mistakes, admit failures. Uh, then you can never actually solve the, the challenges that, that got you there in the first place. I think you know, that's the biggest thing that Jocko and I talk about in this book. This, this book is very humbling to write because we wrote about some big mistakes, big mm-hmm. failures that we made on the battlefield, and often those, those mistakes and failures are the greatest teacher. And so you know, if you're not, we're not willing to actually raise your hand and say, hey, listen, this is, uh, uh, you know, I screwed up here. I mean, you, if you can acknowledge that, then you can actually change behavior get the team together, figure out a plan to overcome those challenges so that you can learn those lessons, not let it happen again, and go forward. And, of course, we know when you get the opposite of that, uh, you know, like those statements from, from uh, Secretary Clinton, it's just you're, you're not ever going to solve the challenges that actually prevent that stuff from happening in the first place. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, and I think, you know, being living your lives the way you did, I could certainly understand. But I think there are certain people that are willing to accept failure uh it takes i don't know if it takes a a certain type of person or whatever but i was as something as small in this position as i played in a golf tournament this year and i didn't play up to my potential and i i announced on this show and the morning show i do as well that i failed and had i done my job and played to my potential we would have won the tournament and then i i talked directly to young people and i said look listen to what i'm saying to you it was my fault. We failed. Otherwise, we would have been champions of the tournament. But that's okay because I might learn something from it. Because I never hear that from anybody any longer. Well, that's a great example of extreme ownership. And, and that means that you can address, like Leif just said, that means you can take that problem, look at what you did wrong. Did you need to practice more? Did you need to tighten your game up? Did you get too mentally stressed out about something? Mm-hmm. And you were able to address it. And that, that's what the important piece of extreme ownership is, is that you admit what your problems are and then get them solved. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing thing. I, oh, by the way, there was a 60-second story here very quickly. I have a friend named Tim Ivory. He's a very, very good friend of mine. 
And on my 57th birthday, I think it was, I was with Tim. And uh, he said, is there one thing about being 57 years old now that you don't like? And I said, yeah, I can tell you flat out, because I was just thinking about it this morning, um, that now that I'm 57 years old, not everyone is afraid of me. And about six months later, we were sitting in a movie theater seeing Act of Valor, and a man in that movie was asked the same question, and he said the exact same thing. That not, Yeah, the only thing I regret is that not everyone, and I don't mean scared of me because I was nuts or whatever. Mm. Uh, and maybe, oh, my wife just went, <laughs> you hear what my wife just did there? Sorry. I heard that. That sounded like a pretty, pretty uh, aggressive attack. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, for for a guy, that is it's a very tough moment when you realize, hey, maybe I can't take everybody out anymore. (laughs) You know, not that I would or I went out of my way to do it, but having the confidence to know, yeah, I can handle a situation, and knowing that maybe you can't now because you're 57 years old, it's disturbing. At least it was to to me. You know what, Tom? I'll say that it's you know the the old saying that. God invented every man, or God made every man, but uh, Samuel Colt made every man equal. That's, uh, I think that's something. <laughs> that's <laughs> you think that's time for me to start packing? <laughs> not only that, I'll, I'll tell you, you, no matter where you are in life, no matter how uh, young you are, tough you are, big you are, and, and, and badass you think you are, mm-hmm. there's always somebody that can take you. And so, yes. that's, you know, you've got to be humble, regardless of what your station is in life. It doesn't matter. You've got to be humble. You've got to treat people with respect and and uh, and move forward regardless of, you know, whether you think people are scared of you or not. I, I look for, instead of looking for fear from people, I, I'd rather have just give them some respect and have them respect me back. I would agree with that 100%. That makes complete sense. We actually, actually, we actually say in the SEAL teams, though, Tom, we, we have a, there's a uh, undefeatable form of martial arts called gang foo. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's simply what we want to use against our enemies, right? It's a never fight fair mentality that, you know, hey, if you get six or eight tough guys trying to take on uh, one guy, he's got no chance. So, so yeah, there's always somebody that can get the best of you if they're employing gang foo. Yeah, I just found out, as a matter of fact, uh, a little while ago that our daughter, Catherine, who, who was ridiculing me there viciously, as you pointed out, <laughs> um, she and her husband are going to have their first baby in about six, seven months. And I'm already trying to figure out how am I going to get in contact five years from now with a little five- or six-year-old in case that kid gets picked on that I can pay that five- or six-year-old other kid to beat up the kid who's picking on my grandchild? <laughs> so I know exactly what you're saying. I don't know. The whole the whole thing to me, just uh, the way you've lived your life, what you've done for this country, first of all, thank you both for your service. It's, it's terrific. We on the KQ Morning Show honor uh, our service personnel every morning. And on this show, we honor first responders every afternoon. I don't think people understand what you've done for your country. Do you think Do you think younger people, or I'm not even saying younger people, people under the age of 40, 45 even know what it takes? I think there's a lot of folks out there that certainly uh, that have served, you know, and, and certainly right. where I grew up in places like Texas and, you know, the Midwest. I mean, really, that's what's great about the military. you got folks from all over the place. And even though it's a small percentage of the population, you know, there's people from, from all over the country and, and all walks of life, you know, that are serving in the military and get to see pieces and parts of that. And so, you know, for us, I mean, we appreciate your thanks. That, that, that means a lot, but uh, you certainly don't need to thank us. I mean, it was our honor to serve. And, uh, we, we, you know, we had a couple of rough days where we lost guys. I, I would do anything to trade those days. And, 
and make sure that you know we brought those guys back home safe to their families. Uh, but but with the exception of those tough days, uh, we had an absolute blast, and we knew we were you know we were uh, on the side of good, fighting against an evil enemy, as evil an enemy as the U.S. military has ever faced in our long history. And uh, and so you know we we enjoyed what we were doing. We knew we were making a difference. Did you both learn to deal completely? Well, you can't maybe deal with it completely. Deal with as well as you can tragic loss because you've both faced it. Well, I, I mean, you. Uh, I think you deal with it. You know, everyone deals with it in their own way. But I would say that you know, all the veterans that are that are back in America right now, they've lost their friends, they've lost their brothers, they've, they've lost sisters in combat, and you know, I think everyone has got to find a way to get over it and move on. Or maybe not get over it, but but deal with it and move on. And you know, Americans have been doing this for you know over 200 years, going to war, fighting, watching their friends make the ultimate sacrifice, coming back and try and live their life in a way that honors those that made that sacrifice. It's a wonderful thing. And by the way, just on the way out, whichever I'm not asking you for your opinion on this, but I actually once in a while think about it, and I hope that Chris Kyle did punch Jesse Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win. Please come back and talk more about your book. Wonderful talking to you both. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Jocko Willink. Thank you so w- much, Jocko. Yeah, no problem, sister. <laughs> uh-huh. Jocko Willink, W-I-L-L-I-N-K, and Leif Babin, that's spelled B-A-B-I-N. Winner may have showed up early, but these clips are right on time on another installment of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Asad Mackie, Jessime Peluso, Jocko Willink, and Leif Babbitt. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week. Ooh.